morning. Uh, I'm Michael Burns. Uh, if you don't know me, um, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the Twin Cities. I am enjoying your balmy weather here this weekend. <clears throat> and I've heard nothing but y'all complain about it and tell me, tell me it's cold. Um, could be worse. We had a foot of snow on Friday. And uh, it was one degree when I woke up this morning at home, so I'm, I'm soaking this in. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Um, I, we do live, my wife and our sons, uh, we live in uh, the Twin Cities. Uh, we're part of the Two City Church there. I'm a teacher in the church there. Um, but please don't come up and ask me about the Vikings or any of that sort of thing. Um, I'm, I'm from Wisconsin, so just... Uh, all those teams, all that stuff, I just live in Minnesota. Um, and and I, I'm grateful that we do. This is my wife, Mycretia. Um, This is our youngest son. Uh, I, I put this picture up because it's his fault that my wife is not here with me this weekend. Um, she sends her love and greetings. Um, but he's, uh, he's doing this whole thing. He's a high school basketball player. And they had a game on Friday night and then a big team event on Saturday. So... Uh, she stayed back with that. And then if we could go one more slide. Um, we, we like to say we have uh, two sons, but we have at least five boys um, that kind of live with us most of the time. Some rotate in and out, and sometimes we have more than five. Um, that's part of the pack. That's not all of them, but uh, that's our 16-year-old, the baby in the back. And then next to him is our nephew, Javen, who's kind of lived with us since he was about 13 and then in the front there, I'm not sure what that look on his face is about, but uh, that's our oldest son. He's 24. And then back there, uh, Reggie is a high school senior, um, and he needed a place to live, so he stays with us. And then we have a college freshman that lives with us. And um, so if you're a young man and need a place to stay, um, <laughs> come on. We got a big old basement, and you're, we got beds for you, so come on in. Um, but no, it's, it's good to be here. Um, thank you so much for all your hospitality and, and warmth this weekend. Um, it's really been great to be here uh, with North River. And then yesterday we kind of did the thing with uh, Bridgepoint as well over here. So it's just been uh, awesome. And I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Um, so I, I, I want to warn you, my sermon here, I, that, that's not the title of my sermon. Um, <laughs> And I have no PowerPoint um, because, yeah, you're just going to get to look at that. So I, I apologize. We're going low tech because I, I sent a PowerPoint and I said, this is probably what I'll preach on Sunday, but I may change my mind. Um, and I changed my mind. Um, and so uh, I just, I, I want to share with you some, some things that uh, for whatever reason, God really put on my heart last night and this morning. Um, but, um, so I don't even have a title for this lesson. Isn't that terrible? Like, um, we can call it worship. Let's call it, we're, we're going to talk about worship today. Okay. And, and overcoming through worship. There you go. Write that down. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing. Sociologists tell us that human beings you can think of it in the terms of three cups. We have three cups that need to be filled and, and balanced. 
And they are in our life. They are meaning, community, and freedom. We need an aspect of all three of those things to be a well-functioning human being. If any one of those cups becomes too filled or imbalanced and one of the other ones starts to empty out, we have problems in our life, right? And so, for instance, our culture, if we're going to sort of uh, give a generalization of it, is awash in freedom, right? We have choice to do. You can do anything you want. You can have anything you want, anytime, anywhere. Uh, it's unbelievable. And because of that freedom, though, we start to lose meaning. When you can have everything, nothing means anything anymore. Does that make sense? And so we don't have meaning. And so we have a society that desperately wants meaning, but clings to its freedom. And so doesn't have much in the way of community and has very little meaning in their life. So how do we gain meaning? Well, that's one of the things I want to talk about today. Turn over with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 5. And while you're turning there, let me just take the opportunity to uh, apologize um, for my voice if it's a little cut in and out and raspy. If you were here with us yesterday, you know this is actually a market improvement. Um, I, I wasn't so sure last night when I went to bed. I was like, I had nothing. And I was like, well, God, this is in your hands. Um, so I'm glad to have something. Um, and I just, I, I want to take an opportunity here too from, from my heart. I'm, I'm involved uh, from Minneapolis with the African Missions Association. And I just want to thank you guys, North River and uh, historically the Atlanta churches and all of that for all the incredible uh, sacrifices you have made and support you have given to uh, the churches in Africa, the work in Africa, uh, the you know the, supporting the the ministries for the poor over there, and thank you so much. And and um, I'm grateful for that on behalf of all of us. And and please keep uh, doing that as much as you can because you guys make an impact uh, far bigger than you could ever imagine or know. Um, and so I'm grateful to Dr. Mark and Steve and just all the guys. Um, that are involved with that and support that. So thank you um, for that, for sharing them and sharing of your lives. First John chapter 5, I'm just going to pick up in the middle of the sentence here in verse 4. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe in one way or another, we all want to overcome the world and all that that means. That's why you're here today. If you didn't want to overcome the world, you wouldn't be here today. And, and that can take on a lot of different meanings. Maybe it means just overcoming the worldliness in your own life. Maybe it means overcoming the evil and hate and all of that that we see in the world. And it can be crushing to look at how much needs to change about that. So how do we overcome? How do we make a difference? Well, according to this passage, it says the one who believes. 
Well, that's simple, right? Wait a minute, though. If you're like me, you kind of start to analyze what things say, and then you start to look, and you go, that looks like not true. That's a bunch of, that's a bunch of hogwash. Because how many of you believed, I believe in Jesus, world overcome, job finished, sin, not a problem, evil vanishes whenever I walk in the room, injustice, gone, world has been overcome. We would love that, but that's not the case, is it? But it says the one who believes overcomes. Well, one of the realities of that, and, and biblical scholars are, are starting to rediscover the idea now that looking into the word believe in the New Testament means a little more than just, I agree with that, right? And I think we've known that as a family of believers for a long time. The scholarly world starting to catch up and go, you know, when first century people heard that word, they probably more would have heard the word something like uh, that involves allegiance rather than, you know, a commitment to a king rather than just, oh, I agree with that. So the idea of belief includes allegiance, but that's an interesting thought because let's go back to our three cups. To be allegiant to something gives me meaning, but I have to give up a certain amount of freedom to do that, don't I? See, I can't be allegiant to something else, to a community or a cause without willingly laying down certain freedoms. How many of you are married here today? Isn't that the cool thing about being married? Is that your spouse didn't have to be married to you, right? I don't know if you ever thought about it like that, but they gave up their freedom to walk around and be with whoever they wanted to be in order to pledge their allegiance to you. And that brings meaning to your relationship. Does that make sense? So how do we find meaning? Well, how do we overcome? That's one of the themes really of the book of Revelation, isn't it? To church after church, it's like there's this call to overcome, to overcome, to overcome. Or in the NIV, be victorious. And one of the themes that comes out of the book of Revelation is one of the main things that we can do with our life is to worship. Now that's interesting because, okay, well, I mean, you have an amazing band. It's unbelievable. They were doing an awesome job. Right? Give them a hand, yeah. But here we were worshiping together. Is the world overcome? Not totally. Maybe for a second. But see, I think any of these folks will tell you, this is a reflection of worship. It's not worship itself, right? What does Romans 12 tell us that worship is? Worship is an entire life given in sacrifice. We willingly lay ourselves up and sacrifice 
That is your true and proper worship. And then when we come together in events like this, this is a reflection of that life of worship. But there's an important element of worship that I want to, this is nothing new today that I want to remind us of. And, and again, this is just kind of what God put on my heart and hopefully you can take something from this. But turn over to Revelation 5 for a moment. And Revelation is an incredible book. It's a book of, uh, it's very symbolic. It's, you know, full of pictures and, and symbols and things and th that are amazing and fantastic. And it kind of moves us in a direction. It moves our hearts. And I think sometimes we can cause ourselves problems when we try to, like, dig into analytically and intellectually into Revelation because it's a book of symbols. And it's, it's like a a symphony or a picture and, you know, it's supposed to kind of move us in a direction. And in chapter four, we find, here's this picture, chapter two and three is, is all about, hey, to the churches, hang in there and overcome. And then what's it lead into? Chapter four. And John suddenly has this vision and he says, man, I looked and there was like this door open and I walked in and all of a sudden there I am in the throne room of the almighty God. And it's incredible. And he's trying to strain to find words to describe to us what he's seeing in this vision. And he's like, there are these creatures. And I, I think they kind of represent all of creation. And they're flying around the throne and they're praising, saying, holy, holy, holy. And it's, it's just this incredible scene of worship. And then chapter five kicks in. And he says this, he says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, <clears throat> excuse me, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Now, I don't know that in the book of Revelation we're ever told exactly what's in that scroll. It kind of describes it. But that's sort of the question is what is in the scroll? Well, I'm going to characterize it this way today. It is the secret to overcoming the world. It is God's will, God's perfect judgment. God's plan to cleanse the world, to fix our problems. Can you imagine that? If that's in that scroll, like the solution to all our problems. To rid the world of evil and war and hate and rape and racism and injustice and oppression. It's right there. What would you do to get that scroll? to open that scroll, because right now in this world, somewhere somebody's being murdered. Right now, somewhere somebody's being raped. Somebody's being oppressed. There may be right now soldiers amassing to do violence. Right now, in Richmond, Virginia, and we'll continue to pray for that. <clears throat> there are white supremacists mounting to have a demonstration tomorrow, and there's a fear that it will be another Charlottesville situation. 
And here's this scroll. And John says, an angel stepped forward and said, who is worthy to break the seals or open the scroll, but no one in heaven or on earth or even under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And John responds appropriately because this scroll is everything. And he says, I wept and I wept. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. But just then when all seems lost, one of the elders steps forward and says, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Imagine what's going through John's mind at that moment. The lion of the tribe of Judah, how impressive must this guy be? Yes, this is what we need, a lion to solve the problems of the world, to bring the world together, to do what even Moses couldn't do, to do what David couldn't do, to do what Alexander the Great couldn't do, to do what the pharaohs and the Caesars and all the great men in the history of the world could not do. How big and bad must this lion be? Uh, quite a number of years ago, when we lived in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, my wife and I, we, we only had one boy at that time, and he was little. He was two or three. And we went to the Milwaukee Zoo one day, and it had been raining. And so there was hardly anybody at the zoo. It was kind of great. It was kind of a cool day, and it was raining. And so we, we went to the big cat's house. Um, and we walked in, and all the cats were on the inside because it had been raining, and cats don't like water, you know, even big cats. And so there, I walked up to the lion area and there's a, a glass, um, you know, it's probably, I don't know, a half inch inch thick or something, a big glass case. And it, it angled out so that by the time it got to the railing, it was almost over your head, right? And so I walked up to this railing and this big male lion is sitting there with his face pressed up against the glass just looking out, no one else in there, except me and then my wife and son in the stroller, they were kind of over that way. And I was like, how cool is this? So I leaned up on the railing and I'm like, I'm like two feet from this lion's head. This is amazing. Now, I'm not sure if the glass wasn't there that I would have been doing this. Um, <laughs> but, and here's the reality, ladies, I'm going to give you a little window into the way a lot of guys think, and guys, be honest. I had always believed up to that point, if somehow I got in a situation where I needed to take a lion with my bare hands, I could do it. <laughs> Only if I had to. And most of the guys sitting next to you are like, yeah, I, I, I think I could. <laughs> so I'm leaning over and I'm getting closer and closer. 
And then he presses his face fully up on the glass. And I'm leaning to the point where I'm like two inches from this lion's eye. And I'm just looking at his eye. I'm like, this is the most incredible thing ever. This is beautiful. Who gets a chance to do this? I forgot something, though. I forgot that in the animal world, to stare into the eyeball is evidently a challenge of dominance. <laughs> An act that that lion didn't care for. And suddenly, in the blink of an eye, went, raised up on its back paws, slapped the glass with both paws, teeth gnashing. Now remember, this glass is angled out over here, so when he does it, it looks like he's coming down on you. And all thoughts of like, I could take this thing with my hands were gone. And I went, ha, ha, ha. And now the next part is still a source of controversy in my household today. What I'm going to tell you really happened was I figured if this thing breaks the glass, I'm going to draw it off and chase me. My wife tells this story that I just ran by her in the sun, <laughs> in the stroller, and said, get out of here. Because um, I thought for a moment he was going to shatter that glass. He didn't. But lions are incredibly strong and fast and impressive. Like nothing you can imagine if you haven't seen one move that fast. So I think John is duly impressed for a moment. The lion of the tribe of Judah, that's what we need. We tend to always think that will solve the, solve the problems. Strength, might, impressiveness. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, we get a picture of something even better than a lion. You want a lion to solve your problems? I can go you one better. I can conjure up a beast. A beast like nothing you've ever seen before. It's got heads and it's got horns and it's like unbelievable. And it comes out and, you know, in Revelation, it's kind of, it's, it's the Roman Empire and the worship of the emperors and all that sort of stuff. We've got multiple beasts, but you get this one beast and he's sort of a parody of what we're seeing here. He's, he's better than a lion. He's bigger, stronger. But that's what we kind of want. We want to, we think we'll overcome, we'll make changes in the world through strength, through impressiveness, through comfort, power, military, money, big, impressive church, all that sort of stuff. But that's not what makes changes. Because as John turns to see this impressive lion, Hey, um, just wondering, <clears throat> where'd the lion go? Because when he looks, there is no lion. What's there? A lamb. A dumb, unimpressive lamb. Anyone ever been afraid of a lamb? It's not even a sheep, it's a lamb. And then it gets worse. It's a bloody lamb. Well, somebody already killed this lamb. This is a bloody loser lamb. 
this? No one could open the scroll but this? Can? It's been killed. The beast, how much more impressive. In fact, when the beast comes out, all the people go, ooh, there's never ever been anything like that beast. That beast is impressive. Killed? Forget it. Death bounces off the beast. People think it's dead, and then it's like, no, hot surprise, you can't kill the beast. The beast is impressive in every way that we want and every way we think we'll overcome. But the message of Revelation is don't worship that beast. Watch out for that beast. It'll take a lot of different forms. It'll always look good. It'll always be impressive. We'll always have a tendency to want to rely on that. But what overcomes? Sacrifice. That's always the case. That's the message of the whole New Testament. What overcomes the world? Yeah, it's belief, but it's belief in the bloody lamb. I believe you see this message repeated several times throughout Revelation. In chapter 12, verse 11, it depicts a battle between the dragon and the people. And how does it say in verse 11, the people will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's it. I believe in the lamb. I believe in sacrifice. I believe that this is how we'll overcome. This is my act of worship. And in chapter 19, oh, it gets even better because all the armies of the world are depicted amassing against this rider on the white horse, which we understand to be Jesus. Ooh, all the armies of the world are going to go against him. And some people make great haste saying, oh, no, this is, gonna, this is a real battle that's going to take place as if God needed to, like, somehow have a physical battle with human beings. Like, that doesn't make sense. We're still talking in symbols here, I think. And so the, the armies of the world are amassed against God. They're going to overcome God and his people. And here comes this rider on the white horse. And how does he defeat them? Well, if you read it carefully, there's never a battle. It says his robe is dipped in blood. And he's got a sword, but the sword is coming out of his mouth. Revelation's already given us all the clues we need. He's done it again. He's overcome through his own blood. And the word of God. That's it. His own sacrifice and the word of God. It's so easy to think we can overcome, to want to find meaning and strength in impressiveness and being something that the world would admire. whether that's as a group or individuals. You want to overcome? It's through a life of worship, and that life of worship must have sacrifice. That's the only way to meaning. You want to change the people around you? It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take the blood of the lamb and the word of God. That's it. It's not very impressive. 
We want to start changing the world and say, I want to be a warrior for, for justice and, and oppression and, and bring the kingdom. How much do you sacrifice? How much are you willing to weigh down, lay down your own life? Because that's how we're going to overcome. That's how we're going to make changes. That's how we're going to fix what's wrong in the world. And we won't do it all ourselves, but that's how we start is we implement the victory on the cross that the lamb has already won. He's already won. He's already overcome. He's just waiting for us to join him in that sacrifice. Look at Colossians chapter 1. If my stupid phone will let me turn there. Verse 24, this is what Paul says. He says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. This is exactly what Paul says. Wait, what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? That almost sounds heretical. Christ has done it all, but he says, nah, he's making a point here. And he says, yes, Christ suffered and he sacrificed. But that, the reality of that victory will not come into people's lives without us being conduits of worship, being willing to sacrifice so that the sacrifice of Jesus can come and be made real in the lives of the people around us. It's a call to worship. It's a call to sacrifice. Without sacrifice, and that's really one of the main messages of the whole Old Testament, if you didn't, if you didn't get that memo, is there is no worship without sacrifice. It's kind of one of the main themes of the New Te- Old Testament, right? You want to worship God? There must be sacrifice. And it's the same now. If we want to worship God, if we want to bring meaning into our life, and if we want to overcome the world, we must sacrifice. Stop looking for the lion, stop looking for the beast, stop trusting in the beast, whatever that is in your life. You know what it is. You know what it is that you're tempted to trust in and want to look good and be impressive and have strength and comfort in your life, but that's not going to make a difference. It's pleasant. You have the freedom to do it, but there will be no overcoming without sacrifice. I just want to finish here this morning and read Romans 12. We've, we've already referenced it. Therefore, this is verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Let's bow our heads and pray for communion, which we're going to take here together.
Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice of the lamb and what it means for each one of us. We wouldn't be here today without that sacrifice, but I believe also that none of us would be here today without the sacrifice of someone else in our lives, of laying down their life for us in some way. God, we want to overcome the world. We want to make a difference. Help us to not forget that we need not trust in the beast or in the impressive things in the world, but be willing to sacrifice. If we want to make a difference at our job site, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the greater Atlanta area, in Georgia, in the country, in the world, we need to be willing to copy the life of that slain bloody lamb and lay our lives down in uncomfortable ways, in freedom-sacrificing ways. As we take the communion this morning, I pray that we can meditate and you will make clear through your spirit what you're calling us to do as individuals and as a community to make a difference, to overcome and to worship you with every area of our life as we lay it down and sacrifice to you. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.